Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show. Good people, welcome. Bad people, welcome. Everyone, welcome. You know, I, I don't want to discriminate bad people. Welcome to our show as well. <laughs> Anybody, welcome, because today we learn about customer research and how you can get a lot of sales and results. I'm excited to discuss this topic with Ryan Paul Gibson. How are you? Yeah, I've been in marketing for 20 years. Um, I took a bit of a sideline gig as a reporter for in TV and radio for about three years. And then I went back to marketing. And research has always been a big pillar of what I do. Um, you know, my philosophy or the, the hill I die on, as they say, is that if you don't understand how and why customers are buying from you, it's going to be really hard to influence their decisions around what you sell. Because most buying journeys don't start uh, when they come and interact with you, whether they're installing a product or they're dealing with a sales team or whatever it is. It starts way before that. And you need to understand how that works, even for SEO, right? Like what are the things, what are the things they're doing and how are they making decisions all along the way and eventually landing on your product or service? If you know all that, you'll have you'll be, you'll have a better chance at spending your budget more wisely and you'll have a better chance of winning in the market. So that's why that's what I do, and that's why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. Love it, love it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think in SEO, uh, great specialists don't rely a lot on tools. Yeah, we can get some valuable insights from them. For example, uh, Ahrefs that we have a sponsor today. Yeah, it's a great yeah. tool. But you It know, is a great tool. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's great. It provides a lot of insights to analyze your competitors. But, you know, from my experience it's better to start from customers to learn from them to yeah. speak to them to know your audience uh to know their uh pain points and uh jump with that tools just help to customize your message to find the right strategy but uh it's better to consider uh just uh, research before using any tools can you tell where to start for example if someone wanna launch new product where to start uh researching customers oh wow <laughs> Easy question to ask, but not always a easy one to answer. So <laughs> if it's new, like if we're starting brand new, we're talking new company, never like trying to get into a new market. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. I mean, like, uh, for example, uh, if my company is going to launch a new product. Yeah, okay. of course, we have some social media prof uh, accounts. Yeah. We have some resources. Yeah. But, okay, uh, I'm with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... If the product's similar to, in nature to what you do already, mm -hmm. then you can go out to your existing customers and ask them how they solve certain problems and problems to begin with. So what I mean is the new product is going to solve something. That's the whole reason mm -hmm. why we have, we create, we launch products is people are here. There's a lot of stuff that's causing them challenges. And they mm -hmm. have a place where they want to go, like an end state or a dream state or, you know, a place where it's less stressful. So the product facilitates that. So you need to understand, okay, how are they solving it already? Right? And sometimes it's there's existing products, so you're a competitor to new products, or you've created something entirely new, and they've just sort of cobbled all these other solutions together to figure out mm -hmm. how they're going to solve that problem. So that's where I would start is 
understanding, okay, if I have an issue in my business, um, you know, what are the ways I'm trying to solve that problem? Because then what you're starting to hear is all the phrases and terms and messaging that you can use in your marketing or that you can create content around to help educate buyers on how they can solve this problem, which may be your tool, right? I hope that answers mm -hmm. the question. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, it's answered, but you know, uh, let's, uh, you know, yeah, uh, let me clarify the question. Uh, for example, uh, we have two different uh, methods. Uh, I remember when Jeff Bezos uh, shares about them, uh, customers uh, obsessed or competitors obsessed. Okay. Uh, and yeah, can you tell uh, which method? Uh, of course, it depends. I know that Bloomberg uh, uh, is learning more about their competitors. They have yeah. strategy to analyze competitors. Uh, yeah. Amazon has different approach. They are obsessed about customers. They don't care a lot yeah. about com competition. Uh, and can you tell where to start from competitors or customers if you want to learn uh, about uh, like to develop and create new product? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think everyone, people have different answers, right? Mm -hmm. I I like to start with the customer. Obviously, mm -hmm. that's sort of my nature because that's what I do. But I especially like to start with customers if there's not a lot of existing demand necessarily. And B2B is really good for that type of approach because a lot of products don't have millions of searches for that product mm -hmm. you know, yeah. every year. Uh, they have a very specificity to what they do. They're very niche products. So you mm -hmm. want to figure out like, all the intricacies of how a customer actually solved these things, right? That said, let's say you want to build the next sales force, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> like, you just think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a run at them. Okay, good luck. Well, there's how many CRMs out there, right? So you could actually look at the competition in the landscape and say, and find a gap in what they're not serving. So say maybe you believe I'm going to build a CRM for dog walkers because mm -hmm. that's they need one and I know it's missing, right? So you mm -hmm. can start there to test without actually talking to customers maybe a little bit. But eventually, it doesn't matter. All roads lead to them because mm -hmm. they have, they're either going to give you money for it or they're not. So you need mm -hmm. to understand, have I built something that they're actually willing to pay for? because the pain is so astute, right? So mm -hmm. I, I still lean in the Bezos camp where it comes down to, you know, why are they choosing me over everything else they can choose? Because I don't have to use Amazon, but I do and why. Mm -hmm. So that's, I, I lean more towards the customers, but it doesn't mean there aren't, you know, circumstances where you can you still look at the competition and see if you can carve off a piece of their market share. Mm -hmm. Love it. Uh I think, you know, um, I read a few books uh, when uh, CEOs of big companies usually go to customers, spend time with them, you know, uh, to learn more about their pain points and think how they can decide their problems. They don't use tools. They don't use data. They go directly to their customers and ask okay. uh, direct questions. Uh, can you tell uh, how to find customers, uh, your buying persona? Uh, where it's better to learn, you know, uh, and uh, is it good idea today to uh, spend time with one customer when you want to cover like a thousand customers? They yeah. are different. Yeah. So the question is like, where do I find customers to talk to and then who I yeah. should spend the most time with? Yeah, it depends where you are in your journey, right? A mm -hmm. lot of startups, startups, so a lot of startups don't have customers. 
right? Um, so let's start there. You can find people that you think might be become customers of your product. And you're just, instead of you trying to sell them, which happens sometimes, we, we might have an idea or build a thing and we're like, hey, do you want to buy this? Well, they don't know anything about mm-hmm. you. They don't know, you haven't established any credibility, mm-hmm. whether that's a problem they actually have. So how I phrase it for a lot of early stage companies are ones that may not have a ton of customers. Service businesses are like this too, a service-based business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can go out and interview people that are similar to who are already serving, who are your ideal as, and ask them about, okay, here's a problem that a lot of people in your position are encountering. Do you have that problem? How are you solving that? And just learning about how they're approaching those things. And that's a great way to start. If you have existing customers, a lot of SaaS companies do, or um, larger size companies, you can go to, um, if you don't have an ideal client defined, and sometimes we call it like an ideal client profile or ICP for short. If you don't have that defined, there's a few things you can look for. You can look for people who have, um, who are your highest average contract value. Once you pay you the most money, mm-hmm. the ones who have converted the fastest in the last, say, you know, two quarters or the last, um, you know, 180 days, maybe in the last year, because if they've, if they've come in quickly and had a high intent and then bought quickly, something is happening in their business or in their role or responsibility that's really, gra- they're gravitating towards your product. Well, why? Like what's happening in the world that they're mm-hmm. feeling that need so quickly? So that's another way you can look at finding people to talk to. Or if you're still not sure about any of that, you can just say, who has just purchased from us in the last mm-hmm. two months? <laughs> Let's go <laughs> talk to them, right? Because what will happen is they'll actually have the best memory of what they, how they found you, how they made decisions about your product, who else they talked to, what they evaluated your product against, why they chose you in the first, like after all of that. Those are all great things you can understand as a marketer because then you're mapping out how they make decisions coming to your product. So those are some of the ways that I would look at maybe finding people, some people to talk to. Yeah, ask why. Yeah, agree with that. Uh, can you tell more about goal to market strategies? Uh, which strategies yeah. we have and uh, how to find yours? Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the best one to answer that one, Anatoly, but I'll tell you what <laughs> I, I, I see and others are free to disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it comes to like, what is your first is your business model, mm-hmm. right? like my business content lift is, is, is a called a productized service. So what that means is I have um, a service, but it's consistent across the board every single time. I don't deviate a lot from the system of how I deliver it. Right. Um, there's other people that are just service-based businesses or like an SEO business might be a service-based business where you're scoping out different types of work based on the needs of the company. And you have products and then all sorts of other ways. So you need to figure like, what is your business model? Like, how do you make money in the first place? Right. Mm -hmm. Then I would look at the competitive, um, how people buy these things. So how did, how is it that people in, um, how do they find and discover and evaluate and purchase similar businesses to yours? Right. Mm -hmm. If you figure out how they do that, you'll start to see a, a pattern of what typically happens. And then I would look at the competitive landscape, right? So if you're just starting out, let's take SEO, right? You might jump into HRFs 
and you have a new product and you can see right away mm -hmm. wow the main keywords i was hoping to to tackle it is going to be tough to get those like really mm -hmm. tough right now right so mm -hmm. maybe seo is not what i want or on the flip side there's a, a big gap in something that you talk about or that you can solve that other people have not done a good job about creating organic search around there's a window right mm -hmm. like i here's a really good example i work for a SaaS, i do a lot of work with a SaaS company called rewind mm -hmm. and they build backup software for SaaS platforms big ones like github and shopify and it just helps you restore all your data if it gets lost it's just like click and all your data is back so mm -hmm. for our shopify clients we have one blog which i call the banger and mm -hmm. it's not a lot of traffic maybe at most 70 searches a month but that we can tie a line right to revenue because the intent's so high right so the, you, you can find all these little windows so to your question go to market strategy you know what is the model of how you sell how do people buy and then what's the competitive landscape look like and then you look for windows based on how you you know supporting that buying journey based on the resources you have for a lot of early stage companies it's going to be social and probably a lot of seo right in the beginning mm -hmm. and then as they get bigger and they become um, more intricate new channels are going to open up but really those are the three pillars that i would look at someone else might say different but that'd be me mm -hmm. love it love it um you know once um i've heard podcast with hrs tim solo uh uh and um, uh, he shares on this podcast that it's hard for HRFs to find their buying persona because they have different customers, women, yeah. men, different ages, and it's really hard for them to find. Can you help such companies to find their buying persona and uh, why this buying persona will be the best fit for uh, their business? Yeah, I mean, I... I, I it's not always easy for companies to define that right for a lot of reasons sometimes they they are worried that if they get too narrow a niche mm -hmm. they'll leave money on the table which isn't a wrong assumption sometimes um you might do that but i i look at it through the lens of what is actually the cost to acquire a customer of a certain segment mm -hmm. and they're not all made equal so if you are if you, let's just say you have five segments that you think or five customer personas you think you can sell into it's always in my opinion really good to look at okay out of those five segments if we can define them who is the easiest to acquire who is coming mm -hmm. to us and paying for the product or service with the least amount of friction and the sales team is doing a good job of closing them or they they're marketing really our marketing clicks for them um, because then what you can do is you can index into that, um, that first segment to help really build up the cash in your coffers before you spread to other segments. Right now I can't speak to HRS, like maybe they have done all the data and they're saying, no, we can't do that. Like we have to have a much broader base, but most companies don't fit into that at the end of the day. And I'll give you a real life. I'll give you a good example. So I worked with a company that did. A financial uh they're an enterprise play and they did um accounting software mm -hmm. and they were competing against big big incumbents and they were a much smaller company they're competing against companies that are 
public companies with billions of dollars, worth billions of dollars. Here's the thing, though. When they looked into the data, they found that in healthcare, they were beating these big, big companies and winning like 80% of the deals that people were coming into. And they're like, the light bulb went on and they said, they had started having internal discussions around maybe for a little bit, we will just go right into healthcare. Like we will just totally own that vertical and segment. Because then if you do that and you have a foothold, then you can maybe expand to other ones, right? So mm -hmm. like, I know that doesn't really answer your question, like how you can define multiple. Mm -hmm. I think you just have to understand how does it all fit together? Sometimes you can go after many segments, but sometimes you might be losing money trying to chase a few segments as opposed to focusing your resources in maybe one or two that can, and you can command more market share. Mm -hmm. I, I like that you uh, mentioned you can have a few personas. Yeah, like yeah, uh, absolutely. not one. So yeah, create landing pages for a few personas, different uh, text uh, content and cover uh, yeah different people. Why not? So yeah, it's a good idea, by the way. Well, because uh, the problems still exist, right? Regardless mm -hmm. of for a lot of products. So we, we were having actually a lot of this discussion in, in our company, in the company Rewind I was just talking about mm -hmm. is we're finding for companies, um, we have a product that backs up GitHub biggest code repository in the world mm -hmm. most developers use it right so you would think logically well oh, they're all going to want to use this product but that's not the case and there's a lot of reasons why and when you even when you dig into who's buying when you talk to customers different types of companies prioritize the product differently so some companies have who have purchased said oh yeah i've known about you for a while and then we finally sort of decided because it was time and then other, other customers are like, oh, yeah, as soon as we saw it, we knew we needed it, and this is why, right? So they both use it and both paid for it, but how they look at the, the acuteness of the problem is different. So mm -hmm. you have to understand those things as a marketer, right? Because then you can leverage different things with those different personas. Yeah, uh, I remember when uh, Warren Buffett replied to some question, and he told, for example, you can set up two campaigns, A and B. If you can sell VP campaign two times more, so why you need to pay for a campaign A if you have B that provides much better results? Yeah. So <laughs> I ain't gonna argue with Warren. He's been more successful than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's very successful. Okay, you know, I found on your LinkedIn profile you can interview customers. For example, mm -hmm. if some companies reach out to you and wanna know more about their customers, can you? Tell about the technical aspect, how to reach out to customers and get uh, valuable insights. Yeah, outreach is the hardest part. Mm -hmm. um, even with your own customers. And most companies who have some type of system in place for reaching out to customers, they'll usually tell you the same thing. Um, you know, if customer success has... Uh, frequent conversations or sales does it can it isn't always easy to get your customers on the line which is why we have things like customer panels who we sort of pick and then, then they sit with the company you know year in year out and we go to them uh for you know to sort of bounce their ideas off of which is great they're very valuable uh, to have those but it is always the hardest part because they have other things in their world that they're trying to do and us asking them a bunch of questions for 45 minutes isn't always their priority, even if they mm -hmm. want to help. So um, 
the, how I do this is um, I look at it for in different ways. If I want to talk to existing customers um, and depends on like what I want to know, like if I want to know, um, you know, maybe new products to build, you talked about that at the beginning of the show. I want to go to maybe customers we, we've been working with for a long time because they might have good ideas around that. Right. So I'd go into my CRM and I would reach to them and I'd talk to people that looked like they've done, I'd ask people who have a lot of engagement with us and I'd start there. So people who actually really believe in our mission because then they'll have a higher rate of maybe getting them booked into an interview. If I'm going to want to talk about the research I do, which is, you know, investigating buying journeys and go to market strategies and how we should be leveraging that type of thing. Uh, I'll, I'll try and look for customers that just closed that fit within all those things I just talked about, which is, you know, um, they gave us, uh, they're paying us a lot of money. Um, the deal went through really easy because mm -hmm. the odds are I'll get that person to talk to me uh, much better because those are signals that they really have a problem to solve. Now, if you're going out cold, you know, you said like, because we had talked how you'll find people to talk to that maybe could become customers. That's more challenging. That's just like cold calling, right? Or cold mm -hmm. emailing in sales. It's no different. The only difference is you're not selling anything and that's actually part of your strategy. So what, how I approach that is I'll, I'll research someone on LinkedIn. You can go to LinkedIn Navigator. You know, you can, you can filter through firmographics or you can go to um, your own network, which is a good one, uh, or private networking groups. I'm in a few like Slack groups or Discord groups or Facebook groups or whatever and find people that are similar. And you can look at their profile, you can read what they do, look at the, you know, what they're responsible for. And you're like, okay, I think this is a person I could talk to. And then when you reach out to them, either through mess direct message or link or email, you can say, Hey, Susan, saw your profile, love your company. I, I see you do this and this and this. I'm running, I, I'm hoping to talk to people like you to give me insights about um, these types of problems, I think you have a lot of great experience and I'd really hope, I'd really be like, uh, hoping you can schedule like 30 minutes of your time with me. I'm sort of just mm -hmm. making it up right now, but that's it. And then what I do is I will send like cold emailing. I'll probably send about three or four emails, might follow up in social. And then after about the fifth time, I'll do that breakup thing where it's just like, Hey, last time I'm going to contact you. If you don't want to mm -hmm. talk to me, totally understand. So that's, sort of technically how I will do this work is I that's I answered I, I spoke a lot there but those are some of the ways that you would do this right it's a lot of it is really that's the longest part is getting people booked to talk to them mm -hmm. can you share the average response rate uh with such yeah. approach when you yeah that's a good question I've never really like I can only speak anecdotally I would say you know I 20 to 30 percent is often what i get and the the reason is it's because i'm not trying to sell anything mm -hmm. right that doesn't mean it won't turn into a sale eventually right when i did my own research for my company i spoke to 24 um cmos and vps of marketing and i've worked with maybe two or three of them right but that was also i did that first initial work about 13 months ago right and one has just reached out uh the other day to like say hey maybe we mm -hmm. should do i think i might have found a project for us to work on right like it, it takes time for these things to unfold and 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 b2b 
So response rates of though for just a general research interview, you know, I, I find it's anywhere between like 20 to 30 percent. There are some things you can do though. Um, we to increase that. We talk a lot about incentivizing interviews. People do it in sales, right? If you sit on this demo, we'll give you this gift card or this thing. It happens in research circles as well. And you can do it on your own or you can um, hire a third party service. There's a few of them. There's uh, one called user interviews. There's another one called respondent. And what mm -hmm. these are is um, just platforms, marketplaces, where you can type in a bunch of um, um, you know, firmographics and persona information, and it'll it'll find the people you want to talk to, and then you can incentivize them to join a call for you for thirty minutes or an hour or whatever it is to ask them a bunch of questions about you know how they solve problems that maybe pertain to your business, right? So, yeah, it, I find it's a little better than the sales cold outreach, mm -hmm. but it's still it still can be challenging to get people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love it. I think you, you have. Um higher the average uh, data because uh, according to a few studies only eight percent of all personalized outreach emails are open eight percent you know yeah. when you have like 20 percent uh, response rate yeah, is high yeah that's okay you know uh, i'm not sure it's uh, you can cover like a hundred percent or even 50 percent but 20 percent yeah, yeah but then enough. you know it's you know it's interesting about that number because that you know, I hear that about cold outreach in my entire career, that sort of five to 10%, it, it, the number varies based on like mm -hmm. where yeah. the study is. But what's interesting, if you flip that around and you read about the studies people do on how much of a market is ready to buy, mm -hmm. it's usually the inverse of that number. Mm -hmm. Like it's usually like 80 to 90% of your market isn't ready to buy and 10% to 5% is. So it's really interesting that it almost lines up identically that cold outreach um, mm -hmm. emails that people open align with how much of a market is ready to buy at any given time. Now, whether that turns into revenue is a different story, but it's, I always thought that was very fascinating that, um, you know, those numbers add up because it just shows to you that, you know, sometimes it's just about the timing, right? I just did an interview this morning and mm -hmm. I asked, you know, what made you, um, you know, what made you uh, click through that email? And they're like, oh, it was just right place, right time. It. It just, <laughs> it just yeah. hit me. The email hit my inbox. The day I was thinking of that problem, it was on my to-do list. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So sometimes it happens. Sometimes you get lucky. So that's why I've never, I never discount cold outreach. It's part of what I mm -hmm. do. It just has mm -hmm. to be structured well. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's why I'm not sending emails on Monday because people are so busy. No, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's better to find like uh, other days, but it depends. Of course, it depends on the industry. For example, I remember when one of my clients reached out to uh, sporting bloggers and they reply only uh, on Friday evening. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you're catching uh, so, up with all the emails they missed throughout the week. <laughs> yeah, I think... I don't know. It's possible that um, uh, many sporting events are coming on the weekend and they yeah. uh, find time when they, uh, I don't know, like uh, starting working on that, you know, on this event, they reply to these emails. So it depends. It's better to learn more when your yeah. audience is active and send emails. And uh, 
it's better to ignore time when they are busy you know <laughs> so oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, if they are working on monday morning but they have many other emails it's yeah it's a big chance they will ignore yours because uh, it's better uh, i know that people usually reply to their customers colleagues i don't know such emails and when they have time they can reply to other emails so, absolutely yeah. so you know mm-hmm. let me when i worked in a newsroom um when i was a reporter we would see on average 300 to 400 pitches a day new mm-hmm. net new and i had because of how my day unfolded as a reporter if i didn't have a story i was already working on let's be good pr language too for people if everyone's saying about pr stuff if i didn't mm-hmm. have a story yeah. to work on i'd have f- 10 minutes to go through 400 emails to see if there was anything relevant that day for me. So I didn't read pitches. I read subject lines. Yeah. I just went, oh, that looks interesting. And then I'd read. Nope. Delete. Mm-hmm. Right. So I say that because same thing with cold pitching. Think how busy you are during the course of the day, Anatoly. Like you have a ton mm-hmm. that you're trying to get done. If you get an inbound email that's cold from someone you don't know, and that first subject line doesn't catch your attention, which is why there's all those tips and tricks of like how do you get people to open, right? Mm-hmm. And even if you get that far, you know, what's next that is re- is relevant to you that makes you want to go further? So that's why understanding that to me, if I can understand all those things for cold outreach and um, customer pain points, um, my chances of getting someone's interest are much higher. Someone on LinkedIn, who does a lot of really good work around this is Josh Braun. People can look him up and follow him. He uses he does a lot of really good prospecting type language in cold and cold outreach environments. And that's a lot of it, right? It's just knowing what is the thing to say that is relevant, that gets people's attention, that makes them want to engage further. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Now, uh, I found one more thing on your uh, LinkedIn profile. Yeah, absolutely. After interviewing your uh customers or, or clients customers you can teach how to do uh this job can you tell more for example if you've learned about customers how you can uh choose the right data and uh share this data with companies that want to yeah. improve and develop their products so everyone different researchers have different approaches somewhat and it sort of depends on the school of thought you come from i like to lean into a framework, a framework that's called jobs to be done. Mm-hmm. And I'll explain it a little bit. So jobs be done is traditionally an innovation methodology. And what it, the whole idea of it is we don't buy products and services because of, um, you know, what they are. We buy them for what they can do for us, like where they get us, the end state they want to get us to. And I mentioned that a few minutes ago. The classic example, one of the classic examples people give in that context of trying to explain what jobs would be done is, is, you know, we don't, I don't buy a drill to make a hole in a wall. I buy a drill to hang a picture or put up a shelf or build a house or whatever, right? You know, we, there's thing we buy the things to get us to somewhere else. Same thing happens in B2B, right? Where we use solutions like HRFs. Like I don't use it necessarily just for this understand SEO. I use it because I want to use SEO in a way that Mm -hmm. brings in people to do X, right? 
you know, mm-hmm. it gets you to another place. Otherwise I have to do all sorts of other things. So um, what's really interesting, even though it's jobs to be done, if you look it up and people are, they should Google it if they want to understand a bit about it. It's, it's also, it's good, not just for creating new products and thinking about how people solve jobs or solve problems with jobs. It's also good for understanding how people make decisions about existing solutions because the mindset they have is almost the same thing. There's a sequence of events they go through to logically to come to something. They take actions and they think through stuff and they land somewhere, right? What I'm trying to understand is what is that sequence of events, right? In the words of the customer. So what I do is when I go interview them, um, I'm looking for a few things. I will talk to them about the roles and responsibilities, um, you know, of what they do. Because titles are very misleading. You know, the director of sales for a startup is much different for the director of sales for a Fortune 500. There's some similar things they'll do, but their job, their days are probably much different. And so I care about that. I care about their priorities. Like what, where do they place, like how do they prioritize time, prioritize time in their day? Which, what, what's more important than others? What are their, what are their objectives? What are their KPIs and goals? What do they need to get done? Pains and anxieties around those things. So like pains is like what's stopping them from getting their priorities accomplished. What fears do they have? if They don't get them accomplished. And then I try to understand what triggered the search for a product. Right. And then I try to figure out how they, how they searched, where did they go? What was the process? How they evaluated it? Who was on their short list of other solutions? And then um, how the sales process went, you know, how did they pick? Why us? And then you can also, if you're doing other work, you can talk about like how they like the product, you know, what were the business outcomes? How has it moved the needle? I don't, I don't do that work, but you can do all that stuff. So I do that. Be, so your question was like, how do you present it? I t- mm-hmm. talk to those buckets because that's how I actually present the information, right? At a, in an initial state. So it's, here's how, here's who they, out of an interview, uh, sorry, out of a cohort of 12 interviews, this is their roles and responsibilities. This is what they care about. This is how they found, this is how they find us, they found us, mm-hmm. this is how they, why they picked us and so on and so on. And it's an initial first pass around like what I call the average buying journey is. Then what often I do or my clients do, that's where they build buying personas. They'll build battle cards for the sales team, sales enablement stuff, right? Messaging, positioning documents, all that stuff that we use in businesses. But instead of me just sort of doing that part first, I build all that other research, qualitative research. And then I match it with some, maybe if with data that I already have in my CRM or competitor data, and then I build out all those tools because that's what actually informs the company and gives them things they can use to actually do their jobs effectively. That's how Mm -hmm. I sort of take that information, you know, spin it all up and then communicate it to a company or a client. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And, you know, um, I remember when I check out a few studies about how many recommendations company companies, many different companies uh, usually provide after yeah. getting research. And for example, uh, in SEO, only 40% of all recommendations are uh, used 
and 60% yeah. are ignored because yeah. companies ha- have no time, resources, you know, they get a lot of insights and uh, they just ignore it. Uh, it's not yeah. good, of course, for ICO. Uh, what about uh, customer research? Can you tell uh, from your experience uh, how many recommendations are uh, companies use and uh, how to convince them that uh, it's better to do it because you can get much higher results, sales? Yeah, it's probably the same, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because that was, you know, I've been a person who mar- has run marketing teams and even mm-hmm. when I brought in contractors, not all the ideas mm-hmm. get used. And there's reasons for that. Sometimes it's, like you said, we don't have time. Sometimes it's politics. Sometimes mm-hmm. people don't believe the research, right? I talk to the customers all the time. I know. Mm-hmm. Like, well, yeah, you do, sort of, right? Um, so how do you get them to use it? There's a few ways, right? Me, I actually will sometimes get involved in their marketing. And I'll, when I do a report, I actually start tweaking their existing marketing, right? Mm-hmm. Just as ideation, not saying this is exactly what you need to do, but I'll change like H1, H2s, I'll write ads, I'll, I'll do content clusters around here's what your next, um, I'll pick out um, uh, topics for high intent search, right? Go take this these words, go to HRS, see what's happening. Like that's... I will do that and guide them to, on that process. So, you know, it, it varies. I think if you're going to communicate why they should do it, there's only so much time and money in a business, right? And especially now as people are worried about heading to a recession, right? Like that's very much top of mind for many companies right now. And they're, Ad spends are going down. People are pulling back on, uh, you know, performative marketing. Anything that's in discretionary budget is getting tossed, right? Research helps give you clarity around fine-tuning those decisions. You really get to understand what's important and what's not, right? Where should you, where should you resource and where should you not resource? Because that's it at the end of the day, right? There's, if you find a commonality of how people are buying you, how people are finding you and why they're buying you, then that informs your go-to-market strategy in a way that you're, the chance of you, chances of you wasting money are much lower, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's usually how I frame it now because marketing teams actually usually have a big budget in a company because you have headcount and then you have all the other um, discretionary budgets to like build and make things. Right, sales collateral, going to events, um, you know, doing a podcast, whatever it is you're doing, you know, that stuff's in addition to the headcount. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do you know that spend is actually being used wisely in a way that it's going to influence people, influence people's decisions around your product? If you're not going out and researching that, then the executives are going to be sitting around next quarterly meeting, like we used to spend this much on marketing. But our pipeline mm-hmm. isn't getting any bigger. What's going on here? So that's how I frame these discussions now is tying it back to that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, love it. Okay, let's forecast the future. Uh, what okay. kind of future <laughs> are you expecting uh, on uh, customer research? And uh, what companies need to do today you know, to uh, adapt new challenges that uh, might will come soon? Yeah. So the first question is who should be... Like what's going to be happening in customer research in the future? Yeah, yeah. What do you think about that? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I find 
this is just me. And we actually talk about this a lot as sort of researchers, but also with other marketing leaders like yourself who are sort of very engaged in the community, mm -hmm. right? There seems to be a higher appetite for it in the last few years. I think there's different maybe reasons why. When I've been in B2B most of my career, and when I came back to marketing after I was a reporter and went back, the type of research I do, I did not see companies doing. Right. I was one when, when I did it inside companies, I was looked at as like an outlier, almost crazy. But I was very much adamant that I need to go out and understand for my discipline of marketing how I can impact that buying journey. Right. It's happening more and more. And I think probably one of the main reasons is there's just more products than ever before. There's, um, you know, I've heard people say there's 50 times the amount of software companies as there was just like five to eight years ago, which is likely true. Even in marketing, we, well, there's always that framework we see every year. I always forget the name of it, but it's like the number of marketing uh, technology companies. And it's just like, there's tens of thousands. You just open up Crunchbase and type in SaaS company. And it's mm -hmm. probably like around 25,000 or something crazy like that, probably more. That's just going to increase in scope. That's not going to get lower. It's going to get higher. And what's going to happen even more so is um, products will become more niche. Prices will drive down. There'll be more competition. Like look at something like Notion where um, I like that. It's a really interesting example where people are building businesses inside Notion at pennies, right? Like the overhead costs of using Notion are very small. Like that type of, and no code. There's just more stuff coming in. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to compete now against so many other players. So understanding why people are choosing you, I think is going to be more imperative um, over time. So that's, I think you're seeing a shift to customer research for that. That was the first question. What was the second question you asked? <laughs> I forget. Uh, how to prepare today. For example, I don't know, like uh, to learn more about AI tools, they probably can help or any, can, anything yeah. else. Yeah. Like I, um, Gong is a one that people hold up now to like, um, as sort of like a gold star. Um, I mean, because people have record, been recording sales calls mm -hmm. a lot longer than Gong has been around. That's not new. But they have mm -hmm. interesting things and in that they can they can read sentiment, right? I'm a researcher. I use research tools. There's really interesting things that some of those tools are doing to to dig into sentiment and like pattern analysis. Um, you know, there's content AI tools now. People like I'm not a huge fan of them, but other people use them and really like them, right? So mm -hmm. you know, there's um research I find it, it's probably gonna get there's probably going to be more people doing it. But again, I think it comes down to what's noise and what's signal. So what is what is just like a bunch of stuff coming at you and what is actually relevant to you doing your job? That's the part where I think people really need to focus on when it comes to research is, you know, you can open up, you can open up HubSpot or Salesforce and look at a whole bunch of stuff or Google Analytics. But what's actually relevant to like what you need mm -hmm. to do? That's the first part of research, really having an understanding of like, these are the things that I need to know that actually help me make an impact on what I do. So I think you'll see people do more of it. It's just, again, figuring out like what's relevant to what they do. Mm -hmm. Valuable, yeah. Uh, thanks, Ryan, for your time. You know, a big pleasure hey, to learn pleasure. from you. <laughs> yeah, tell our audience how they can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. Yeah, 
Um, LinkedIn, just like you, <laughs> I think you're way more active than I am, but um, they can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Ryan Paul Gibson. And mm-hmm. then I also, my name of my company is uh, Content Lift and my website's mm-hmm. contentlift.io. But honestly, just, I can see right now, like everyone in the chat's like LinkedIn, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. So yeah, uh-huh. fine. just <laughs> if you have a question, just DM me. I'm always happy to try and help as best I can. Okay, guys, you can find all these links in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. A big pleasure. Welcome back anytime. You know, always Thank you. valuable Thank insights. You nice. <laughs> Thank you. You're too kind. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.